Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. We understand that running a small business can get complicated. That's why Canada Post Solutions for Small Business offers end-to-end -end services and tools that help grow your business, plus save you time and money. Visit canadapost.ca forward slash small business for simple solutions. The Canadian Export Challenge and the Startup Canada Awards are coming to a city near you. Entrepreneurs in Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Mississauga, Montreal, and Fredericton have the opportunity for a full-day entrepreneurial experience. In the morning and afternoon, attend your one-day global accelerator where you will connect to Canada's entire trade, export, and growth ecosystem. Accepted entrepreneurs have the chance to pitch to win $25,000 in cash and up to an additional $100,000 in in-kind scaling support. In the evening, celebrate the winners of the 2019 Startup Canada Awards who are driving innovation and growing the economy in your region. Register for the Canadian Export Challenge at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC and get your tickets to your local awards ceremony at startupaward.ca. a real entrepreneur helping others succeed. This is your host, Rivers Corbett, on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day in the life stories and in their shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you know, one of the great things I love about interviewing amazing rock star entrepreneurs from across the planet is what we learn from them. And that's why I started Go Forth Garage. Go Forth Garage is all about providing you with the resources, the coaching, the mentorship, the programs to help you and your business. Just check us out at GoForthGarage.com. That's GoForth garage.com. This is Alex Benet, Chief Information Officer of Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show where we hang out with some pretty cool people from all over Canada. 
but also occasionally around the planet. And today we've got one of those really cool people. Alex Benet is the Chief Information Officer for Canada and is working to boost the government's relationships with digital technology and online communications. Turning to social media to communicate government initiatives to sharing his own opinions and thoughts, Alex knows that digital is the way forward. Alex has been a leader in Canada's digital industry for years. Prior to his appointment as CIO, Alex was the president and chief executive officer of the Canadian Science and Technology Museums Corporation and has always pushed and promoted a global shift to digital in organizations such as the G20, the Commonwealth Secretariat, and the Olympics. He was recently named on Apolitical's international list of the 100 most influential people in digital government. Alex is also the author of Canadian Failures, an anthology of essays from prominent Canadians opening talking about failure. Oh, boys, do we as entrepreneurs know how we can talk about that? And Government Digital, an in-depth look at how modern governments are tackling digital change. Alex understands that digital is a part of all of our daily lives and that the government must leverage technology to embrace opportunity, improve policies, regulations, and frameworks, and to seamlessly deliver services to citizens. Today's episodes, we're going to talk to Alex about how important it is that the government adapts to digital solutions and what the future of government will look like. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks. Sorry for breaking your streak of cool people on the show after that introduction, but thanks. <laughs> well, dude, I'm going to tell you, none of them, none of them uh, wrestle with the paper like you did in an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. It's all good, man. It's all good. We were talking before we get started, Alex actually spent some in New Brunswick where, where I'm positioned and uh, and so in typical maritime flair it's okay dude don't worry about it <laughs> they're, they're, it's all good so what do you want Alex the uh, Canadians aspiring and entrepreneurs current entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation today um, I mean I think we're going to probably dive into Canadian stuff and global stuff so I, I definitely think that in Canada um, our culture around uh, corporations businesses entrepreneurs uh, I mean I mean, despite the work that Startup Canada does, I, I I really would like entrepreneurs to realize that the world is their oyster and that as soon as you do a digital thing, it's global in nature. And so sometimes we'll see startups or businesses th think about Canada as their initial market and it just, it shouldn't be that. So I know you guys are pushing hard mm. on that message yourselves as well. So any sort of digital startup, like you're literally into the world market right away. So that's the first thing. The other thing is hopefully we could talk about government a little bit because it is not as boring as... Uh, people make it out to be there's a lot of, what yeah shocker uh there's there's a there's a lot of of up-and-coming public servants and public servants that have been in there for a long time as well that that actually are working on some cutting edge things so whether you're at the national research council or whether you're trying to change how we hire for example to be able to staff in 30 days or less which you know would make us even better than the private sector frankly dealing with issues like the gig economy or responsible ai or voice automated services like there's a lot of cool stuff going on here um, and so maybe that's the second thing that hopefully they take away out of today is um, is uh, is the fact that you know government government taking a, a pit stop and helping us make better public services for our citizens is a good thing and and it the same applies to us our boundaries are blurring nationally internationally across uh, sectors and so it's a very exciting time to be in public policy as well. Well, you know, and and, and I uh, I agree with you. I'm uh, I'm the entrepreneur in residence for the province of New Brunswick, and I am extremely excited about what what. 
people who are quote unquote, the bureaucrats are doing to move the agenda forward uh, and in entrepreneurship in, in the province, let alone nationally. So, uh, so I get it when you say exciting things are happening. I'm not even going to, to, to kind of pause this conversation, let's dive in now and give me the give me the top two things that are happening that are uh, specifically relevant to the entrepreneurs listening in. Um, I mean, for us, I think we're starting um, to realize in government, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak about governments around the world, not just Canadian government. Okay, cool. Um, but we're starting to realize the power of data, and I know it for for many entrepreneurs, especially in the digital space, it'll sound weird because I'm 99% sure that most of your startups are digital. <laughs> um, so because that's the way of the world now, but government mm. governments around the world are starting to realize the importance of data and not only releasing that data. Uh, Canada is number one in the world, uh, tied with the UK for now because I'm a little bit competitive, um, but t- <laughs> tied tied for number one in the world with the UK on open data. So the amount of data that governments release, that's not enough. But we're starting to realize that releasing data and engaging with other sectors creates a different business model for public sector. So uh, uh, if you permit me a three minute story, um, go for it, man. uh, Go for it. uh, So basically my, my previous uh, role with the science and tech museums, we decided to release all content within two hours of creation um, with certain rules around privacy and around security, obviously, but most of whatever we were doing was developed outside the firewall. And that started creating new relationships for the museums where they could start doing partnerships with small uh, startups in the gaming sector, for example, out of Toronto, uh, where a partnership was created with that startup in Toronto, leveraging the data that was being released uh, and actually uh, creating games that were downloaded in over 180 countries four or five times in a row, um, different iterations of the games, all about World War I history and Canadian pilots of World War I, frankly. So it's kind of like Band of Brothers, Canadian style, uh, certainly not an HBO Mm. budget, but Canadian culture being spread out around the world. And this company went from two to three employees to 30 uh, on, wow. on the backs of a small national museum. And then it got even better because Nintendo started calling that institution um, right. to, to start doing games on its, on its platform. So changing the model of how we delivered culture was a big deal. So I think you're starting to hopefully see more of that around the world. You're starting to see governments release data, do more with partners. I'm of the mind, for example, that our service agenda should not be exclusively delivered by government departments. And sometimes I say that and people gasp, but what they don't realize is, for example, our tax system is already an ecosystem approach with TurboTax, Intuit, and others. So Mm. why couldn't we do that with, I don't know, benefits? Why couldn't we do that with immigration? Why couldn't we do that with healthcare? So, and what that does is it creates companies around that ecosystem and there's economic growth and there's entrepreneurial opportunities. So the more you work outside that firewall, whether we're talking APIs, release of data, engaging with people that are not public servants, um, I think that's the fun next sort of step in sort of government service evolution. I'd, I'd love to see Canada take a leadership position on that because we do have some strong entrepreneurs. We are number one in the world. So that's definitely in, in number one in the world in open data. So that's num- definitely like one of the areas, sort of the service or government as a platform. The other area that's really interesting and hot for us is maybe less related to entrepreneurism, but still there's a lot of new burgeoning companies in this space, but we've made some pretty heavy investments as a country in AI uh, 
over the last three years. Um, and we've seen a lot of Canadian companies emerge from that. In the government of Canada, we've just finished closing our uh, tendering process where we now have 74 qualified artificial intelligence companies, of which 60% of them are Canadian. So that's, that's a rarity for us. So it means that it's not just available to the big American players anymore. Like we've got companies from out east, out west, uh, Quebec, Toronto, uh, Ottawa, you name it. So with the vendor list is actually spread out across the country. And we, uh, last week, I believe, or the week before, I'm losing track of time, but uh, over the last few weeks, we've released the world's first public sector governance framework for responsible use of artificial intelligence. So we're hoping that the vendors that are part of this procurement cycle and will work with us on responsible AI and start automating services to Canadians as well. So we've got sort of the tools, we've got uh, the digital academy is training our people on, on things that are as simple as Python to data governance, and we've got the policy coverage. So AI for us is a space where, and I should say responsible AI is a space that we feel we've got a, ver right. a very good international leadership position. in. so anyways, government as a platform being one and uh, automation AI, responsible AI uh, is, is a second area and we could probably name more, but I'll stop there. Of course. Yeah, well, and, but wrapped around all of that, there was an article from one of our uh, New Brunswick his chief economist, David Campbell. He read a reference today in an article he wrote about, you know, it's not just good enough to have good, quote unquote, entrepreneurs. We've got to have a, a culture uh, specifically related to being entrepreneurial. So how do you take these great initiatives, but really instill a level of innovation, creativity within your team, which from an outsider looking in, oh, that's government. Oh, they're black and white. Work it, you know, done work at 4.30, back in at, at 8.30 the next. How do you allow them to be excited and creative in their work so that people who are outside, the entrepreneurs can benefit from it also? <clears throat> yeah, I think, so that's a great question. So, I will speak to a certain slice of our public service at this moment, but it doesn't mean that okay. it's applicable to just that slice. But any new young graduate public servant starting will start right. with a certain degree of entrepreneurism. We as leaders in the public service, so the deputy ministers, the assistant deputy ministers, have grown up to manage risk over the last several decades. And the way we manage risk has not necessarily always evolved uh, to take into consideration that it's okay to fail these days. Back then it wasn't, yes. but we could fail right. smaller and much faster and iterate much faster now. And we don't always leave space for that um, because we've grown up a certain way where, you know, by the time we were doing a project, if we fail three years in, that's a problem. Well, now we can fail three weeks in because the pace is right. different. And so we haven't right. really adjusted our risk approach and we haven't really adjusted our approach to failure because we will often think in industrial age sort of uh, paradigms. So, and so what's exciting about, I think the public service right now is there's a realization at all levels that, okay, things have to change because the world around us is changing quickly. We've got new public servants coming in who are used to this kind of space. Um, and yes. so the question becomes as a leader, then don't, don't get in the way. Um, yeah. Right. So, so I, it sounds simple and, and I get caught doing this on a weekly basis, despite not, you know, trying really hard not to, but like, like find the reasons why you can do the thing as opposed to the reasons you can't do the thing. Don't be the, right. don't be the highest paid person's opinion in the room because you probably don't know anything about, let's say Python, for example, if we keep on that trend, my 15 year old son knows more about that than I do. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so don't be associating capacity and knowledge with rank and pay. 
um, you know, look at failing as a positive thing. We have cultivated an environment historically where we try to manage risk by removing it all, which then means we try to define the end state of the universe for a five to 10 year project. And of course it doesn't work. And of course we fail catastrophically as a result of trying to create an environment where there is no risk as opposed to embracing risk, understanding it, managing it, breaking it down into smaller chunks, letting the teams get the space they need to innovate and do the thing different. So for me, your question is more about it's, it's adjusting our management styles as managers to enable a different way of thinking. And we're seeing it in a lot of places, actually. It's just we tend to not be great because we're Canadian at talking about the cool things that we do. So so that is definitely an area I think we need to get better at because uh, it's okay to talk about our successes as well. <laughs> Yeah, it sure is. And that's, it's an interesting. That's a common theme that we go through. Uh, yesterday, uh, I was talking to a guy from, from Edmonton who runs a company called Jobber, you know, starts with nothing, now employs 160 people. He's now in 40 countries. And it's, you talk about, you say, well, who's a great Canadian entrepreneur? Well, people say, you know, uh, Steve Jobs. Well, he's not Canadian, you know. Yeah. And so we need to brag a lot more about what we do. So I want to touch one more point about about the, the management point you just brought out. So how do you as the leader uh, change these, uh, you know, the, the established deputy minister who's been in the, given the process for, you know, 30 years and you're asking him or her to now not only act differently, but think differently. How do you make that happen? Because I think there's some parallels to, you know, businesses today to have the same thing happen. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's not just deputy ministers or assistant deputy ministers or management and government. Large companies are being thrown yes. head over heels because they're not adjusting to changing their models frequently enough. So um, I think there's one or two things. I'll, I'll start by saying sort of the, the thing that I don't think we've realized yet as leaders in any sector in this country and is that national time to market matters now. And it's not, it uh. used to be a private sector term, but the countries that will automate their borders the fastest with things like visual identification so, uh, or AI kind of tools will actually probably increase economic output uh, first and create more opportunities for their citizens. The country that realizes like the Estonia model that you yeah. You yes. could be an e-Estonian business without ever stepping foot into the country, and that gives you immediate access to the EU. They've kind of thrown the negotiate the trade sort of traditional boundaries uh, sort of head over heels. So I think all leaders in our country need to understand that time to market matters and things like standards and IP and all of these things actually really, really count and that we need to get uh -huh. much better at working together. And it's not through consultation yes. tables. It's through just talking to people <laughs> all the time. So that's the first part. The second part is um, I, I, um, I need to, I need to kind of, correct the question a bit um, in the sense that uh, <laughs> whose podcast is this anyway yeah, sorry too bad <laughs> you can cut me off <laughs> too bad, you, I love it. you can cut me off at any time <laughs> so you guys you guys control all the volumes oh I would never do that I'm a polite Canadian <laughs> <laughs> so but um, the reason I want to say that is that for sure we have experienced deputy ministers around the table in the government of Canada and the provinces um, and for me I'm learning from them every day but they're they're also learning 
from me every day on how to do things differently. And like, so my boss, for example, Peter Wallace, who, I mean, he was the clerk in Ontario. He was the head of, of the city of Toronto and he's now in charge of treasury board nationally. Like this guy's done it all in the public service and he gives me the space I need. Obviously it's not free reigns. He's going to ask a lot of questions, but I've been supported by him. Uh, my, his, uh, his predecessor, Yaprak, uh, who, who brought me in back, back into the civil service, frankly, uh, supported me and gave me all the space in the world as well. So I think what we're right. seeing is there's an increasingly really good collaboration between experience because you want your government to be stable um, yes. and sort of respect for the fact that things can get done very differently. Um, and yeah. when you start blending those two things together, that's what makes Canada's public service number one in the world, which we have been according to the latest, our latest UK study. Um, that doesn't mean we should sit on our laurels. It just means we need to probably bring more people like me and people like me have to sometimes shut up and listen as well because there's a reason we do things a certain way. So it's always a fine yeah. balance. Um, but I, I think, I think it's probably the coolest time ever to be in the public service. My first stint in the public service, the vibe was not the same. Right. So, and then I left, I did five years at open tax and I did three years in a crown corp, but like the vibe is very different now. And the, su- yeah. the support is very much there. And so I, I think it's the best time ever to actually work in the, in the civil service. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to echo that one. I'm i uh, I'm a seasoned entrepreneur, 22 years, the last two years, been the entrepreneur in residence for the province of New Brunswick. And I want everybody listening here to know that your impression of working in government where I'm at anyways, it, it's the total opposite. The culture is amazing. And they do the, exactly what you said for me. They say, Rivers, we want your talent. We want your experience. We want your connections. Here's the strategy, which we've put together ourselves, go do it. And they, there's no nickel and diamond stuff it's absolutely a magical time actually there was bets as to how long i'd stay in in (laughs) government and it was amongst my buddies and it was seven months was the longest and i'm heading into my third year so there's a good testament it's just the impact that we can have in this and and it's not to minimize social impacts of private corporations but listen i've worked in both sectors and um you know there there's bottom line profit driven motivations regardless of social impact desires in private sector and i loved Uh my time in the private sector but I, I love the fact that the impact that we have is on citizens' lives today. Um, yeah, and the yeah. challenge is absolutely massive and amazing. So, I mean, that's what turns my crank. Um, yeah. and, and that's the reason I chose to come back. Beautiful. Well, let's talk about uh, Canadian failures. You were the author of Canadian Failures. And uh, I'm, what I, what I want to talk about with regards to that is that from that from that journey of writing the book, what can you tell us about what Canada, you know, how can Canada embrace its failures in really becoming greater uh, as we move into the future? So I, a bit of context as to why we wrote this book in the first place. So it was a museum project and uh, okay. we were heading into Canada 150 and everybody was talking about how right. amazing Canada was because of its accomplishments. And right. obviously I would agree with that. I'm a proud Canadian. We wanted to celebrate Canada through its failures um, and recognizing the fact that failures is usually what leads someone to success. Um, there is no way that the light bulb worked on the first instance, for example, right? So yeah. what we yeah. wanted to show is that some of the most prominent Canadians and successful Canadians we have actually really screwed up a lot. Um, and to openly talk about 
their failure. So we had, for example, Eric Chan, who is a local Ottawa artist, who is a digital artist and was basically saying how he listened to the majority of people telling him how digital and traditional arts don't mix. Well, he's, he listened to them for a while and he talks about that and the impacts on his life. And then as opposed to just finding his space, his groove and creating something new, uh, Erica Weeb, the gold medal, uh, wrestler, uh, talked about how she almost didn't make the squad because she wasn't focused or she was going through a rough uh -huh. patch in her life. And then she ends up winning the gold medal. Uh, Robert Thirsk, one of our most accomplished astronauts in the, in Canadian history talks about basically how his training, his whole life has been people pushing him to fail, right? You want system failure in the training in Houston, uh, and not in space, right? Cause that will kill you. Um, so it talks about failure as a learning process. So we just got a whole bunch of Canadians to talk about the fact that they're so cool. They're screw ups. Basically they're like everybody else. They've made mistakes, but that, you know, a couple ingredients kind of makes you learn from those mistakes. And that, you know, the, the four letter word that starts with F that is failure <laughs> or fail, yeah. sorry, fail. Um, yeah. Is often seen as taboo, whether you're in business yes. school, whether you're in government, like I heard so many times the sentence is government can't fail. Yeah, but we do. Like yeah, yeah. we do, we all do. We, it happens everywhere. So, so yeah. why can't we manage it better? Why can't we talk about it? So that was sort of the point is to try to celebrate Canada through its successes because, or its failures, sorry. Failures, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know, the last spike for the railroad is seen as a tremendous success, but a lot of people died and a lot of sort of ethnic minorities yes. died uh, in basically uh, putting the railway through the country. So depending on who you talk to um, as well, like the lens is always different. So we just wanted to have a different lens to celebrate Canada 150 and we we, we, we put the book out with all of these sort of sort of really successful people that that wanted to talk about their failures. And I got to tell you, for some of them, uh, it was interesting because you could see that it's culturally ingrained in them over the decades of like you don't talk about failure. So teasing that out nope. of them was really interesting. Mm. Well, I love the fact that you that you've combined the word celebration and failures in the same context. I think that that is absolutely true. And it's it's funny, you know, we go through school, uh, high school, middle school, or whatever, and of course there's failures along the way. But we've all survived and moved on. But for some reason, we just can't embrace it uh, in, in a in a business context or a public service uh, context. So I'm glad you wrote it. How can people get access to the book? Uh, it's for sale online, pretty much everywhere, and 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 Canadian sort of bookstores across the country, all proceeds go to uh, the museum. So it's great. So uh, by all means, yeah. Cool. Canadian failures. I love it. Um, what's, uh, what's the next, uh, presuming you stick around for the next five years, hopefully you do, because one, I think you, you, you seem very passionate about your role, but also uh, the impact that you're making. What's, uh, what's the next five, right, actually, di because digital changes so fast, give us the next two years of what's going to be happening in Canada that's kind of, whoa, that's cool. Um, I really, really believe <clears throat> that we are in a battle for automation of value around the world right now. And I know the word Interesting. I know the word battle is a is, is a negative word and 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 but I, I really believe um, that countries like Canada and there's a lot of us so United Kingdom, us, Australia, you know, Israel, you name it, mid-sized countries um, are stuck between large corporate 
giants, um, you know, out of out of our neighbors to the south. So amazing, successful companies and country yes. and countries that can do scale like a China or an India, uh, like nobody else's business. So there's about twenty thousand real data scientists into the in, across the world, and based on some, regardless of what calculations you look at, if China and India decides to start producing five thousand data scientists a year, they probably could. Um, right. And and I, and and, I, and that's great. I mean, I'm partially jealous about that, right? Um, and so. <laughs> So, so, but the thing is, is once those countries also start controlling standards at ISO around automation or blockchain or AI, and we start talking about automating values um, as a result of that. So for example, there is a country in the world that has sort of mimicked exactly what the Dark Mirror show, uh, there's an episode that, uh, or Black Mirror, sorry, I always get them confused. Oh. Yeah, Black Mirror, yeah. where there's an episode where they're socially ranking citizens based on, do they pay their taxes on time? Do they, do they yep. have any accidents like that stuff is is probably not acceptable to us as canadians i would think that your government would rate you that way maybe in 50 years it's normal everywhere i have no idea but like i think we are in some very very exciting possibly dangerous times around the level of automation in the country and and the thing is is you cannot not automate certain things. So, um, right, right. All right. Data entry tasks, uh, in government will mean that we could free up people to do more value added work. Um, right. I, I don't believe the hype of the computers to coming to take your job. Um, I think once we've gotten rid of certain jobs, we will find more jobs and, and more opportunities and other things. And so, I mean, I think that that statement and some of the reports globally has been sort of overhyped a little bit and you're seeing the Ugh. rhetoric toned down to now it'll be machines and humans. So I think, I think that's great but it nevertheless we still are talking about automating values here um, how we serve Canadians who we serve is the data biased uh, and I'm guaranteeing you it is uh, biased there's always going to be there has always been an element of bias so now if we are automating this it's kind of a mirror and a reflection of our own values and so sometimes we make these excuses around well if we automate we're going to game the system someone will game the immigration system if we publish a transparent algorithm on how Canadian government sort of selects people through the borders or their immigration process because they'll see the algorithm. And my answer is the game, the system's already gamed. If you're rich enough and you can afford a lawyer and someone can't, who's got a better chance of getting into the country, right? Or, right. or, or is there, or we're going to automate bias into our airports for security screening. Okay. Well, I have to tell mm. you, I kind of, I travel with a, a good colleague of mine. His name is Imran Bashir and he's in charge of cyber security policy for the country. And there isn't a single time he doesn't get pulled over at the airport. So, wow. so it's not, wow. it's not the machines. It, the, right. the machines are a reflection of us. Um, and so, so there's some really, really interesting, deep, conversations around all of this coming up in the next two to five years from bias to ethics, to responsibility, uh, to data, to uh, equality, to gender, like all of this stuff is in right in the heart of the AI conversation. And I think that's why it's probably the coolest place to be is in government when we're talking about AI, like no disrespect to my private sector colleagues, but like, like <laughs> these are society questions. And I think it's awesome. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you move I mean, that, that sounds like a lot. Well, you talked about conversation. That sounds like a lot of quote unquote conversation and not much action. How do you decide when, okay, we've had enough conversation now because if we don't move, somebody else is going to move and they're going to control the agenda. Does that question make sense to you yeah, no, totally. as a leader? Yeah. yeah. So we, we, so from the get go about 14 months ago when, so I, I'll give a shout out to a gentleman called Michael Carlin, who was a policy 
policy analyst at Treasury Board Secretariat. Uh, he's moved on yes. to national defense since then. And uh, I still think, Michael, you made a mistake, but that's fine, whatever. Uh, just kidding, <laughs> yeah. just kidding. Uh, but Michael came up to me and said, listen, I do this AI policy stuff on the corner of my desk right now because I'm doing a bunch of other stuff. Um, I'd like to do it full time. And I was like, sure, let's see where it goes for six months and uh, we'll fund it. We'll figure it out. And um, he started the work. He then started combining his work with a, a, a lady called Ashley Kosovan, who's since then turned into a bit of an international rock star. Uh, she just came back from South by Southwest talking about the work we're doing on, on governing and administering nice. AI. So the two of them together put out what at the time, and I think still is the world's first algorithmic impact assessment tool. So a series of about 60 questions that determine the level of severity of the automation that you are considering as an agency or a department of government. Ah. And they put it on GitHub. They put it on Google Docs. They put it up everywhere. MIT contributed to this thing. Companies, other governments, uh, about 15 governments from around the world. And they just started co-developing this tool that we have since made into policy uh, a few weeks ago, officially, that departments had to fill out this algorithmic impact assessment tool uh, in order to determine the level of severity. Because if a chatbot tells you that the uh, skating rink here in Ottawa is closed, uh, is open, and you show up and it's closed, okay, well, it sucks, but I mean, it's not, you know, it's not life or death, but automating our borders, our airports, uh, you know, those things are life and death. Uh, some of our military activity, like those are really serious questions that, that do require governance. So we didn't just talk, we put out the tool. Uh, ironically, Mexico started using the tool before we even finished it and started using it ourselves, which is great because now we, yes. we have a global body of knowledge of like-minded values uh, that mm -hmm. starts to work together. And so it was an example of talking, but adjusting and working and iterating out in the open. Uh, and I don't think we've ever developed a more public, publicly transparent piece of policy, administrative policy in the government in Canada ever anywhere else. Um, so, wow. so it's a combination of talking and doing. Um, yes. And uh, I think that's the future of policy. We just can't develop these things in a vacuum or a service in a vacuum in Ottawa and then put some communications around it and then say that, hey, we're serving Canadians. I don't think, I don't think that's acceptable anymore. So we just put our money where our mouth is and, and sort of walk the walk and talk the talk. Have you, have you ever heard of an organization called Agorize? Mm, actually, no, I haven't. You want to, might want to check them out because this organization is uh, it's global by nature now, but it, uh, there is a, a North American uh, um, chapter in, based out of Montreal. And what they do is they basically create these virtual hackathons that test innovative ideas by matching the appropriate teams that allow you to do that. And anyway, as a testing model for some of these great innovative ideas that you're going through, I interviewed the, the, uh, the CEO for North America a couple of weeks ago, and it was just a fascinating journey she took me on about testing innovative ideas it's called agorize anyway just a little side note there cool. as uh, as you continue your magic um one more question for you professionally and then one personally and then we're done for the day um as an entrepreneur they're saying this is all great stuff but what's this got to do with i need some stuff today that can help me help do my or do, uh, do my business better. What are some some uh, some on the ground running stuff now that is just so fantastic that maybe the average entrepreneur might might not be available at the that the feds have? Yeah. So um, 
First of all, I think I think our, it, there's been a lot of investments in startups, uh, in innovation, in AI, and you name it. From uh, for the last three years, I think I think companies owe it to themselves to kind of start navigating through that. We almost get to a point where it's hard to navigate, but there's more and more government tools to help companies gain access to to those funds. So I think that's definitely something they should take on to themselves. There's been a serious investment, and not just federally. There's the provincial governments, the municipal governments are chipping in. We're trying to do two things. Um, we are talking about how we could procure more directly from incubators across the country, for example, and let them benefit from the fact that the government of Canada spends about six and a half billion dollars a year in tech. Um, so it's a big, we are a big buyer. So how do we actually develop procurement vehicles that enable incubators directly to take the companies they're incubating and introduce them into the Canadian government ecosystem fast so that you don't have to, you know, uh, basically acquire a bid team to be able to do business with the government of Canada. Um, that's number one. Uh, so that's in the works. Uh, currently, immediately as well, the, the, the one area that I would love to see startups get involved more is on the data and the public sector data front. We do not have a billion dollar company that has come out of open data like our American counterparts. So if you look at an Ancestry.com, I started my career in Library and Archives Canada and there is no way we could have ever predicted that Ancestry.com would be a billion dollar company that is now into the DNA business. But they started yes. They started out of the fact that they just went around governments and asked for the archival data to be opened up and actually built a business model around it. We don't get those in Canada. We, we, it, so this mm. is a bit of a challenge and maybe this is the wrong question to, to end on. Um, but I would love to see our startups find us online. We're not hard to find. The open government team is working on Twitter and LinkedIn and social media. I'm out there. Uh, Jamie Boyd, who is one of our, uh, uh, one of the world's top sort of upcoming public sector leaders, according to Apolitical, top 100. She's online. Her team is online. Like, like tell us the data that you need in order to ena enable your business right. model because we'll work with you to release it. I mean, there may, right. there may be instances where we can't, like don't ask us for secret documents or personal information. Obviously we have to protect those, but like a lot of our data, like 60 to 70% of our data, even administrative data that we think has no value, like flight tracker, for example, right in the U S um, another billion dollar valuated company coming out of open data. We don't have a billion dollar company coming out of open data in, in the country that I know of. And I could be wrong back to the highest paid person's opinion in the room. Like, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't, I haven't heard of any of them. And so my plea would be to startups or mid-sized companies is like, tell us what you need and we'll work with those departments and those yeah. ministries. So, uh, cause we worked with GM Canada needed some of our data to do better autonomous testing for some of their vehicles, uh, autonomous uh, vehicle uh, uh, driving. And, and we worked with the province of British Columbia and the city of Vancouver. We all sort of chipped in and now they're testing better testing of autonomous vehicles in Vancouver, for example, like, like there's like, like tell us what you need. Right. So it's a plea, yeah. it's a plea to work together. So that's that, those would be two areas. Make sure you're aware of the funding mechanisms that Love have been it. introduced because uh, the, the support is there. Not, um, and I'm sure it could always be faster and easier. And there's, you know, that's a conversation onto itself, but the support is there. And at the same time, like even more importantly, probably is the data is there. If you've got a model that needs it, we need to know. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the, you know, the emphasis on that. It's take responsibility. It's there, but you got to take responsibility for it also. Alex, um, let's, let's, uh, let's roll. Let's, let's, let's kind of have a, <laughs> let's kind of have a play date. Uh, you, uh, it's Alex Benet day. Family's gone away. Government doesn't need you today. 
Um, and uh, your friends are nowhere to be found. What are you going to do? Uh, two things. Uh, I will probably start the day, uh, probably three. Uh, probably go to the gym. Uh, I, like, uh, I like going to the gym no more than three times a week, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, then probably go home, play some Xbox for a couple hours. Uh, nice. I realized that I probably shouldn't spend the rest of the day playing uh, Mass Effect or, uh, or uh, uh, God, what's the other one? Drag, uh, Dragon Age, Age of Inquisition or whatever. Uh, probably shouldn't be playing that all day. And then I'll probably read a book, or, you know, start, you know, get into some reading. And yeah, that's probably a book uh, right now. I'm actually rereading <laughs> has nothing to do with anything. I'm re Love it. I'm rereading uh, Le Petit Prince. Uh, from uh, Saint-Exupéry uh, which, which if you haven't seen the, the I guess I don't know if it translates literally The Little Prince in English or not For, but yeah. uh, anyways it's uh, you, I'm, I know it's available in English but it's basically an adult that tells the story of some life lessons through the eyes of a child and uh, it's a good reminder once in a while uh, that's brilliant, dude. Alex Benet the Chief Information Officer for Canada. Your time is so much appreciated. I know you're busy, but, you know, entrepreneurs from across the country and so on have really benefited from this conversation. Keep doing your magic, man, and uh, you are always welcome back in New Brunswick. And if you're here, I hope you will allow me the privilege at least to, to uh, give you some social time on a real play date with Riversport <laughs> in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Keep on happening, my friend. Thanks so much for your Time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern.